Okay. We are recording. Stan, I am letting you know that you are being recorded. Thank you. So welcome back, Stan. Uh, it's been, we've missed you. We missed the end of, we missed December. Um, we missed January. Uh, but we're going to double up your January and February dispatches uh, and talk yep. about all the disasters uh, that are happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but um, you're getting a phone call. Yeah. I'm trying to stop it. OK, talk amongst <laughs> yourselves. Uh, so. Mm, I just wanted to um, for listeners, you know, I wanted to just um, say something because uh, I did an interview with the wonderful Rania Kalik on Breakthrough News uh -huh. and Rania interviewed me about the environmental stuff that I've been working on, the col colonialism and environment question yeah. kind of stuff. But we, we've been talking about it. We've been rolling it out on this on this uh, series. But I got the chance to put it all together and kind of spiel it out on a on a in a one and a half hour program, which was great. Kind of forced me to make an outline for the book. <laughs> it's all good, and that and I've gotten some feedback. So, but one person in the comments section uh, said, you know, Padur says that uh, he says that the Amazon was inhabited, and the Amazon was absolutely not. You know, humans had nothing, to, absolutely nothing to do with the formation of the Amazon. So, I just wanted to tell people where I got this notion from which is uh, a lot of interesting stuff in this book by charles mann 1491 do you have you read that one stan no uh, no i read uh, excerpts from it yeah it i guess out, it, it all started with this atlantic uh, article yeah. uh and then he built it into a big book and he wrote 1493 too which i also haven't read but i did read 1491 and there was a lot of a lot of interesting stuff on every page of 1491 um so Here's the evidence that man presents and the authorities that man presents about the Amazon being inhabited. So first of all, he cites someone named Betsy Meggers, who is uh, wrote a book in the 70s called something like A Counterfeit Paradise. So the idea this is this is the person that basically argued that the Amazon, despite looking so lush and and uh, and living and biotic, uh, is actually not a very rich environment. The soil doesn't have very much nutrients in it because everything gets sucked into the trees. So a lot of the biomass is is above ground, unlike places with richer soils like grasslands, uh, even the boreal forest. So that's her argument. It turns out that it's not entirely right. There are parts of the rainforest that are lush and parts that are not. And so it's you can't make that exact statement. But there was someone else named Anna Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Uh, I'm sure she had some connection to that family. But Anna Roosevelt wrote a book about the mound builders of the Amazon, where she said that, no, there's evidence of these huge cultural artifacts. And in fact, the Amazon was inhabited by lots of people. Um, who had a civilization and everything. So there was a big, nasty kind of debate between Meggers and Roosevelt about this. Um, and Mann, I guess, comes, talks about the debate and how it went on in the scholar literature for decades and then comes down, I guess, on the side of um, Roosevelt. So, and then there's other people that, that he cites. So there's someone named Charles Clement, uh, where he says, uh, Clement says something like, by 4,000 years ago, Indigenous people were growing crops, perhaps as many as 140 of them. 
he works at the Brazilian National Institute for Amazonian Research. And he says the Indians centered their agriculture on trees, fruits, nuts, and palms, planting their orchards. Uh, man quotes, um, or a man is being quoted here. Uh, the first Amazonians transformed large swaths of the river basin into something more pleasing to human beings. In an article widely cited from 1989, William Ballet, the Tulane anthropologist, cautiously estimated that 12% of the non-flooded Amazon forest was of anthropogenic origin, directly or indirectly created by human beings. In some circles, this is now seen as a conservative position. I basically think it's all human created, Clement told me in Brazil. So does Clark Erickson. Um, he also cites Peter Stahl. Uh, lots of botanists believe that what the eco-imagery would like to picture as pristine, untouched primeval world, in fact, has been managed by people for millennia. The phrase built environment applies to most, if not all, neotropical landscapes. Then there's William Woods, a soil geographer at Southern Illinois University. Um, says that ecologists' claims about terrible Amazonian land were based on very little data. In the 1990s, they began careful measurements. They found lots of inhospitable terrain and also terra preta, rich, fertile black earth, which anthropologists believe was created by human beings. I think we both attended a lecture where the uh, person mentioned this black earth. I think he was just citing yeah. 1491. Um, yeah. Then there's Eduardo Neves, also examined terra preta. Uh, the ones that generated Terra Preta did it rapidly. Uh, he likens it to using sourdough to, uh, or uh, starter, a sourdough starter, inoculating bad soil with a transforming bacterial charge. Um, Robinson Meyer, another Atlantic article. For more than 8,000 years, people lived in the Amazon and farmed it to make it more productive. They favored certain trees over others, effectively creating crops that we now call the cocoa bean and the Brazil nut, and they eventually domesticated them. Uh, recent archaeological studies show that indigenous populations were more complex, more numerous, and had a greater impact on the largest and most biodiverse tropical forest in the world, said Jose Iriarte an archaeologist at the University of Exeter who is not connected to the other thing that he was citing in an email. So that's what I got. That's my case. Just wanted you to know I didn't just make it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and Clement has also written that, um, as you said, there are these uh, uh, 140 or something, there were tons of um, of crops that the the people of of the Amazon and throughout South America um, domesticated, but he um, and he says that there were probably way more than that, and cites evidence that you know, hundreds of plant species were under the process of domestication of being genetically transformed into crops. Uh, by by humans um, at at the time the Europeans arrived and that 95 percent of those uh, never reached full domestication because 95 uh, percent of the people were killed. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, domestication in that sense, I mean, you you know, you guys have done it in a more accelerated way, but probably historically it probably takes thousands of years to domesticate something. Fully. Yeah, it depends on on the crop. Um, some like um, wheat, it happened very 
quickly, but but others it was a very no, maze. It was a, it took uh, a few millennia for it to become what it is today. All right, so students, if you're thinking of domesticating something, start now because <laughs> it could take a while. Um, yeah, so okay, I, I I wanted to get that out of the way, and I, like I told Rania, you know, the same there's similar stories you could tell about Hawaii or California or Australia or Canada, all of these ecosystems that were pristine or actually shaped by indigenous peoples' land management practices, which in many cases were very sophisticated and developed over thousands of years and made for the long haul. Yep. So, uh, yeah, the um, entire um, Central Plains uh, prairies of uh, North America were um, highly, they were basically a highly managed ranch using fire. The um, yeah. humans kept kept them treeless by burning and providing uh, uh, grazing lands for the bison. Yeah, which is also Australia. It's a similar ecological yeah. system. They used fire. Wow. All right. So that, you know, you know, my, my point in all of this is to say that indigenous people are still the go to uh, if you want to know how to sustainably manage land. Um, and that's never changed. And uh, imperialism is all about destroying indigenous societies and taking their land. So that is also the source of a lot of our environmental problems. Um, Okay, now, <laughs> Stan, <laughs> Stan, 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 it seems that you have brought me, I mean, you know, it was, vehicular homicide is so outdated, it's so passe, because now we have people in the States, and I'm sure it'll come to Canada, everything eventually does, um, attacking the power grid? <laughs> Oh yeah, <clears throat> and with the slogan "Bring it all down." <laughs> yeah, and I wrote this um, piece for City Lights. It was published back in December, but uh, it's now in in the news in the headlines right today because uh, it's happened again, or was going to happen again. The um, FBI has arrested and charged a couple in Maryland with uh, hatching a plot to attack power substations in, in three spots, kind of in a ring around Baltimore, which they they had figured w would bring the whole uh, city, it would crash the city's electric supply and bring, bring the city to a halt. Now, the guy in this couple, um, was the founder of this thing called the Atomwaffen Division, meaning oh. uh, atomic, <laughs> atomic a warfare. Uh, what does that sound? It's, is that German? Is that the German language? <laughs> Waffen Division. Huh? Yeah, yeah, and they, uh, and for several years, they've been one of the most uh, uh, violent and dangerous uh, neo-Nazi groups in the country, but. Um, and he, I, I don't imagine it's coincidence that um, they're attacking Baltimore, which has a big black population. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's <clears throat> that's it. So 
they um, unfortunately were plotting online with um, uh, undercover FBI informant. And <laughs> so, <laughs> so they were fortunately unable to uh, carry this out. But they, there have been in, in, in the past year dozens and dozens of these um, attacks, on, often uh, using gunfire to knock out disabled power substations, which are these l- little things that, you know, fence in things you see along the roadside, often in remote areas that take the super high voltage from the, um, the uh, high, the, the um, long distance lines and convert it to um, lower voltage to send, um, uh, send on the distribution lines to uh, the users of electricity. Uh, and so there, it's, uh, very easy to get away with and with attacking these things and um, and th- this is one of the few cases where they have actually caught people uh, either before or after they uh, launched one of these attacks. So there are 55,000 substations, uh, 160,000 miles of high voltage power lines. Yeah. Um. And so you 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 say that they're they make for juicy targets, and uh, the law the police are telling uh, one of these magazines that they may feel that disrupting the electrical supply will disrupt the ability of the government to operate and accelerate the coming civil war that they anticipate. <laughs> so it's just like a it's just a chaos kind of yeah it's they, a kind they, of you know, the leaderless terrorism. It's just uh, there's a, a lot of discussion of this uh, online, according to um, investigators who uh, are, are watching that. And the and the the um, reports from Homeland Security and others say that the um, goal seems to be uh, to create civil disorder and inspire further violence. And so there it's but people are not apparently are not coordinating the actual attacks. They're just exchanging information about uh, how to carry it out. And it finally got into the headlines first in December with uh, you may remember this one when um, in uh, eastern North Carolina. There was um, one of these um, attacks that knocked out power. It was in Moore County, uh, North Carolina, knocked out uh, power to uh, 45,000 homes, uh, some of them yeah. for uh, for two or more days. And, and they had just driven by two of these substations, fired a few rounds with uh, um, automatic weapons at them and and uh, in, in that did the trick. They and, and a couple of weeks before that, right in that same county, very close by, a banner had suddenly appeared hanging from an interstate highway overpass. No, actually, US 41 overpass, which said, um, uh, well, it had swastikas on it. It said, bring it all down. And then it had a, it showed a telegram 
address that led to um, a, a photo, an image, a photograph of a, a electric substation and uh, with the slogan, bring it all down. <laughs> and and I guess people drive by and think, yeah, that's a <laughs> cool thing. To do. Yeah. No, but but I mean, in a way, there's a kind of a sophisticated understand. So if you're trying to preclude the possibility of a transition to low fossil fuel energy, it does make sense to attack the electrical grid because the electrical grid is a prerequisite for the like if you have a a great electrical grid then you can power it with renewables or whatever right hmm. whereas if you don't you can't do a thing in terms of climate change or renewable energy right yeah people yeah all those uh electric cars that the uh climate yeah. people are so excited about uh you won't be able to run those. Um, yeah, and they have, um, the far right have been talking a lot about um, energy being the, um, it, you know, the well, uh, here was um, <clears throat> uh, none other than uh, Alex Jones oh, uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, talking to none other than Turning Point USA's Charlie Kirk on a, a podcast, I guess, saying that the Green New Deal and, quote, environmental fascism uh, connect to what they're um, calling the Great Reset, which is the claim yeah. that a global liberal elite is uh, plotting to control humanity. And, and Jones Said if, it's like they're plotting to control humanity. Don't yep. they already control humanity? <laughs> what, who are they planning to overthrow yeah. this elite? Well, well they, yeah, they're working toward <laughs> the, this great reset, which will be total control. And they, they oh, just total have some control. And so Jones said, if energy was a chess piece for the globalist game plan on the board, it's the queen. If you control oh. energy, you control populations, you can bring them to their knees. Not bad. Not bad, Stan. Not bad. Does your throat I'll, hurt now, though? I always wanted to do that. <laughs> you need an audio format. Can't get that across in an article. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a queen. I guess, I guess it's the queen. It could be the board. I don't know. Um, but, but. Yeah, so there's the grid aspect and there's the attack on the the future. You call isn't that what you call it, or is that the next article? Kind of <laughs> yeah, the far right assault on our future, oh, which yeah, I think is uh, is a, a good a good way of putting it because they're trying to foreclose this possibility. Uh, and um, yeah, the other thing is I'm, I'm just looking through your article here, cause mayhem. Uh, stopped a great reset caused chaos i mean it, yeah like it's a it's it's an it's an insurgent it's an insurgency kind of strategy oh yeah that's what i that's what i was gonna say the other trick i mean even if you don't um even if you don't destroy the grid which they obviously can't they're not going to succeed in <laughs> destroying the grid that's not going to happen right, but right. they can make it more expensive, right? If you add a whole expense to protecting the infrastructure from sabotage, yeah. that also, like, we, we we badly need renewable energy infrastructure to be cheap. It can't just be, 
it can't just be good. It also has to be cheap, right? Somehow it has to be made cheap. So if you make it expensive because you have to make it bulletproof, literally. Yeah. That's and these um, <laughs> these transformers, I mean, they're, they're you know, small substations, but those things are are huge. You know, the the, the size of a, a school bus or uh, right. potentially, and and you know, they're transformers. So there's a huge amount of um, metal uh, in there. Uh, they're almost all uh, manufactured in China. And so, oh. right? Because I mean, they're, they're <laughs> start a war with them. Why don't we start a war with them? <laughs> the people who provide the transformers. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll shoot the, our transformers. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll win. <laughs> right. Step one. Step two. Step three. Right. And at the rate this is um, is going, it could get to the point where um, they could you know, knock out parts of the grid for an extended time because there's it, it seems like there's kind of a waiting list for these um, transformers because um, it takes a while to manufacture them. They got to come from China and there is a, a lot of uh, work already going on on uh, expanding the electric grid to get ready for um, electric cars and heat pumps and and mm-hmm. uh, so forth and, and all of these uh, wind and solar farms that are going to be um, put up. Oh, and there was, was even an attack on the transformers at uh, a very large um, solar farm in uh where, well, I, for, I forgot which state it was in, but uh, in December there, there, there were also uh, attacks on not only on substations but on the transformers at a, a solar farm. <laughs> wow. So um, we're 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 attacking some counterintuitive targets. We're also <laughs> defending some counterintuitive things, which takes us to your February dispatch. Sometimes a gas stove is not just a gas stove. At this point, I mean, we can really turn anything into a culture war, can't we? Uh, like, so out of absolutely nowhere, there's been a moral panic about gas stoves, which, as you point out, it's not even Republicans that like gas stoves. It's 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 sort of uh, hipster, not hipster. What do you call them? Like yuppie Democrats on the coasts that like yeah. to cook or their organic sear their organic tofu on uh, on a gas uh, grill or something is that right yeah so right? at the same time uh, foodies were up in arms saying uh, it, that the uh, party that they largely support is wanting to you know uh, take take away their gas stoves the um the republicans who um don't use gas stoves very much. Yeah. Um, two two thirds of all gas stoves are installed in in blue states, and um, and gas is the primary form of, of for both cooking and heating, the primary form of energy, primarily in Democratic states <laughs> uh, because they're in the north and they and they need more 
powerful heat sources, whereas yeah. the, the Sun Belt, the Republican Sun Belt, uh, there's a lot more use of uh, electricity for <laughs> heating. Right. So so it's uh, it's totally just finding one more thing to uh, call it, to create outrage about. So, and because it's fossil fuel, so it has to be better. And and you know their electric stoves, well, they're run by a coal-fired power plant, so they're okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and you actually there's a there's the whole Nazi um, analogy being made by the House Judiciary Committee chair, <laughs> who you also call a notorious gas bag. Well done, well played, Stan, <laughs> as usual. Uh, so he tweets: yeah. first they came for your guns, and then your gas stoves, and then your gas cars. What's next? But as far as I can tell, Americans still have guns, gas stoves, and cars. So they, if they came for them, they didn't get them. <laughs> yeah, I guess he's visualizing the future. The future. Uh, and, yeah. Um, you know, in, in sort of paradising uh, Martin Niemöller's uh, poem about the Nazi genocide, I First guess he's pretending. The and I didn't speak up because I'm a con- yeah. You know, did I yeah. ever tell you the best the – best, um, I have to tell you that, unfortunately, this thing, this quote by this uh, Reverend Niemöller has been so abused <laughs> yeah. that it's almost only available as a joke in joke form. <laughs> Partly because the first, he said first they came for the communists, and you can't really say that in America anyway, right? So right. Yeah. you always have to start uh, changing it around from the beginning. But um, but. The one I heard, I have to I have to share this one. I think I've shared this on the podcast before, but it was like um, Roseanne Barr said some racist stuff and then they canceled her show yeah. and then Republicans got really mad and they said, you know, why do you let why did you cancel Roseanne when you should have canceled uh, Bill Ma- Bill Maher because he's a liberal. Yeah. And so there was some lefty who tweeted, it was one of my all-time favorite tweets, and, and I may not be able to get through it without bursting out laughing, but it goes like this. It goes, first they came for Roseanne, and I didn't speak up because Roseanne sucks. <laughs> then they came for Bill Maher, and I didn't say anything because Bill Maher also sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get any better yeah. than that. Yeah. That, that, like, that was one of those tweets that made me more interested in trying to use Twitter and and like yeah. beyond spend more time on Twitter. Yeah. Um, so you you've got in addition to you know in your usual doom and gloom style you it turns out we we've increased emissions in 2022 over the previous year 1.3% higher emissions than the previous year. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, that's correct. Um and it's um it was because um, of various things, in, increases in driving, increases in driving of um, trucks and SUVs that uh, burn more gas. Um, uh, emissions from electricity generation did go down, but pretty much all, all the other use of fossil fuels <clears throat> went up. Uh, and this is uh, at a time when uh, the Democrats' um, uh, Inflation Reduction Act is supposed to, um, re- over the next decade, reduce emissions by about 
5.3% per year. And so we started, the, we're starting out at a, a rate where we're increasing them by 1.3%. And so it's, uh, it's not looking uh, very good for, and I, and I don't think there's much in the Inflation Reduction Act that um, can guarantee any uh, um, emissions reductions in anywhere close to what their um, advertising will happen. Well, um, okay, so there is there is an accidental benefit possibly that the Environmental Protection Agency is going to strengthen rules on soot emissions. That's good. <laughs> <clears throat> right, um, because you know now we've got um, the um, the crazies in charge of the House of Representatives, and so not only uh, new climate legislation, but you know, hard, hardly any uh, legislation at all is going to be forthcoming. So Congress isn't going to be doing anything about climate for at least two years. So, but the Biden administration is saying they'll they're going to do whatever they can to, um, where, through executive action, and and possibly through the courts to, um, to reduce emissions wherever they can. But because the uh, EPA in a ruling last summer, um, sharply reduced the ability of. I'm sorry, because the Supreme Court sharply reduced the ability of the EPA to yes. uh, regulate emissions from power plants. Um, it's also going to make it uh, more difficult to use executive action. However, there are a lot of um, pollution reduction laws that can be used, and and, and they, as you say, there's one. Um, uh, that regulates soot emissions, and if they start cracking down and, and tightening up the restrictions on on soot or on uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, diesel fumes, the toxins in diesel fumes, and various things um, that are, are much needed, and, and they you know, disproportionately affect. Um, low-income neighborhoods and so forth. Uh, if they do that, they not only will um, uh, help the situation with pollution, but have the side effect of um, reducing um, uh, carbon emissions as well. So this is, in a way, th so the, there is a real campaign to try to reduce the use of gas stoves. And... Uh, <laughs> Right. So they, they really not, are coming. They really are coming for your gas stoves. <laughs> yeah, although it's it's just basically um, like public service announcements. It's it's like just encouraging people to uh, buy electric stoves. And and there is stuff in the in Inflation Reduction Act, um, uh, tax credits and rebates for buying electric appliances instead of. Uh, gas appliances, and there are some cities, a growing number of cities that are saying we're not building any new, uh, you know, we're not going to have any new gas hookups, and any new construction or, or uh, renovation um, will have to have uh, um, 
electric uh, appliances, but the federal government is um, is just uh, kind of jawboning the issue. <laughs> um, and uh, okay, so it was you said it was initially it's it's aimed at Im- a- improving indoor quality and air quality. Right. And okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, yeah. yeah. And yeah, that's the other way in which they're using non-climate laws to affect climate, the gas stoves uh, themselves, because the reason they're um, discouraging their use uh, has nothing to do with climate. They're saying, um, uh, pointing to, first of all, um, uh, they leak methane, obviously, because the um, methane starts coming out before it's ignited and, and and then it's incompletely burned and yeah. so forth. But uh, but then when the methane is being burned in in your kitchen, uh, it's um, releasing um, the there are chemical reactions that release uh, nitrogen dioxide, which is especially bad for children and, and either yeah. ca- causes asthma or, or, or makes it worse and it's a a much bigger problem again in marginalized communities so uh so it's a good thing to um uh, to do it extinction rebellion in uh, in dc is um campaigning hard for the city to not replace it it has these century-old decrepit um gas lines throughout washington they're um trying to block um, the uh, gas company from replacing all those lines with new ones so that they can keep using gas for another century. And it's, and that's based mainly on in, environmental justice uh, issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so let's, uh, let's go to your conclusions here. The political landscape still, still, um, still steep and rocky <laughs> uh, but you uh you know you bring it back to that essay which i think is really important your cap and adapt uh, essay with larry edwards and you talk about the whole local versus uh you know all the things that are happening in grassroots groups and communities the arena for climate action will probably be shifting even further into the hands of grassroots groups and communities uh but we have to we must not ignore the threat you write that anti-democratic, power-hungry public officials in Washington and state capitals pose to our collective future. So this seems to be, I don't think you set out to tell this story necessarily uh, when you started, but it's <laughs> it's kind of coming out that way where, you know, people are having to do things, uh, take things into their own hands, but there's a limit to what people can do if the whole political system is dead set against them so right and and by talking about it's it's gonna have to be on the ground um action that doesn't mean uh okay you know we will all go out and buy electric um, stoves and heat pumps and electric cars and that'll solve the problem it's not individual local action it's collective local action exactly Mm -hmm. Well, okay. So, where are we going in March? What's happening? What are we doing? Is that our, <laughs> an, is that our anniversary? Uh, uh, no, April 
uh, Earth Day will be our anniversary. But um, uh, it looks like I'm going to um, I've started um, writing the March one um, of addressing of all things uh, the um, congressional uh, haggling over the uh, next five-year farm bill, which will uh, it needs to be passed uh, by um, by the end of this fiscal year, by October. Um, and, but there's a lot of um, a lot of the debate over it is uh, is a climate debate, so it's all um, pretty interesting. Um, it, it, the debate over the farm bill can really and if people who aren't in, um, involved in uh, agricultural research and so forth, like I've been, um, their yeah, eyes can really glaze it's over. De- it's a little geeky. It's a little, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's a little geeking out a little. Yeah. But I love that. We love that here. We love that yeah. here. We're all yeah, about and, the details here. Yeah, and because it is it's this congress that we've got now it's not going to be boring at all it's uh i think that it's going uh so uh be there i I saw the i saw the a little bit i saw clips i've never watched a state of the union in my life um and obviously i didn't start wasn't going to start with this one but i did see (laughs) clips on tiktok and it looked like it looked like a comedy show or something it looked like a small like a small room and like biden's going back and forth with people and they're standing up and heckling him and yelling and uh, crazy crazy stuff yeah he 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 really uh uh, suckered them yeah Yeah. that whole thing about uh yeah he said some of you want to cut social security and then they all yelled and called him a liar and he's like oh so we're not going to cut social security oh we're we're all in in agreement here and and so then they all had to applaud as well because they they couldn't admit that they do want to cut it fascinating fascinating (laughs) not um not heart like not confidence inspiring but definitely fun to watch in a morbid kind of way yeah well it was being uh compared in the in the news outlets they were saying it was more like the uh british parliament's uh question time which, which yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's true. i had always wished we would um have, have more of that kind of thing so it was Good to see. Who thought it would be a guy like Biden who would uh, start the new tradition? There's barely anything going on in there, and yet, you know, who knows? All right, Stan, we'll see you in a month. All right, I look forward to it.